You know, one of the most exciting things about working with Gun.io is I get to work with some of the most important consumer brands and fitness brands and enterprise brands. And what you find is that they're all looking for the very best talent and they're competing for it. And one thing I tell clients all the time is that, hey, you know, if you can develop um, the mindset to, to hire remote freelance engineers, what you're going to find is that it opens up the pool of available talent because you're not going to have to fight over the same group of FTEs from all the other companies in your space. And so now what we can do is bring you a cohort of people that other companies aren't competing with you against. And it's really a competitive advantage to take stock of that and find some excellent people you can bring on board. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Mike, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ledge. It's great to be here. So if, if you don't mind, maybe give a, you know, a couple minute intro of yourself and your work and, and what you guys are doing. Just want the audience to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. So uh, I've uh, been around in the software industry for many, many years. Uh, so from the from early days, actually from very, very early days, I would say in the in the 90s, I was building SaaS applications, which was interesting before it was really a, a thing. And so uh, it's called ASP, right? Yeah. ASP. Yeah, exactly. The, the names keep changing, right? So, um, yeah. So back in the fi- financial markets for building systems for, for uh, real-time systems for traders and and uh, all the way up into the real estate market and then into, uh, had, had a stint at Documentum and, and other, other enterprise companies uh, over the years. And uh, now I'm at Squid. And uh, uh, Squid's an uh, amazing place to be, and I, I love working here, great culture, and I think the product is uh, fantastic. And uh, it, it's hitting a, a, a need, I think, in the market that uh, is, is really, really pertinent, I think, for the future. So uh, I love to work with, with uh, technology that is really kind of paving a path. And this, I, I would say in, for this no-code and low-code space, it's really an area that uh, is blazing a trail. It's a it's a so, somewhat of a newer category, and uh, and part of new categories is you have to ha- actually have to educate customers uh, for for some some of the things that they don't even know the need sometimes, and so you have to educate them, and so that's part of this process. And so that I love doing that. It's been, I love talking with customers. I talk with customers and prospects every week, try to try to understand where they're at, and that's been been really fun for me. So. so Squid, for anybody who doesn't know, S-K-U-I-D, I learned today that it's <laughs> it's a uh, acronym. So what yeah. is that? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, so Squid was, uh, the, the acronym was created by the original developers who uh, invented the product per se. Uh, it stands for Scalable Kit for User Interface Design. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, people, I mean, this is a this is a while ago. That I mean, it, did you call it no code then? Because this that that's a relatively new term in the zeitgeist. So, were you guys like early on the no code train, or 
Did you kind of go, oh, oh, that's what we do. And so we're going to call it that. (laughs) Yeah, actually. Yeah. So it it was about six years ago that the company started. It it spun out of a educational software company. And really the story is, uh, so there was uh, the developers. It was, I I came about a year after Squid started. So the developers, the original core developers who, who created the product, Actually, to step back a little bit, it was, it was founded by a guy named Ken McElrath, who's, who is a CEO today. Really great uh, design-focused, uh, visionary uh, person, really, really amazing guy. Anyways, they founded the product. Uh, they created Scudat, and Scudat was this educational software. And what happened was they kept they get it out into the market, and the customers would come back and say, hey, you know, I want to make these changes. I want to, you know, it doesn't, it does some really great things, but it doesn't do this or that. And so the developers were saying, okay, well, okay, you can do some professional services or whatever. And they got kind of tired of making all these changes. And so they said, what if, what if we just kind of got these people off our backs a little bit <laughs> and created a way for them to like drag and drop and point their click away and maybe it puts, put some light coding in it to automate that whole process a lot more. And so they did, and they came up with this kind of, de- they called it declarative, to answer your question, they called it, mm-hmm. they, let's just call it, de- you know, a declarative, you know, framework. So they did that, and it was, all of a sudden, it just like, it, they, they, these custom requirements got taken care of really, really quickly, and it got, let the developers do what they want to do, they wanted to write code, so they wanted, you know, for their product. So they wanted to, you know, because they're developing the product, so they could get back to work. So that's how it kind of it started. And then they decided, you know what? Let's write some blog posts and some, you know, throw some stuff out in the community, and see if anybody else is interested in this. And they did. And all of a sudden, they got this flood of response. Like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Hey, you know, do you have anything that's kind of you know, that I can get my hands on to, to, to try this out. So that was the original genesis of it. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of like that classic story of, you know, you, you made a thing to solve your own problem. Everybody wants the thing more than they want with the problem that you were trying to solve. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so and what happened from there was that uh, they did, they kind of, they created this separate uh, framework and, and, um, Actually, it was originally put out on force.com on Salesforce. That was really kind of the original set of users. They said, okay, let's try it with these, with these guys because it was on, on, on that, uh, this managed platform. And uh, it, it took off like wildfire. The, they actually went to a conference. They, there was a line out the, out the booth. There was, they did a little speaking engagement that was packed. And they started taking orders. People wanted to buy it. So they said, okay, yeah, and what, and so they named it Squid, and the first year it, it had more revenue than I think in four or five years of Scudat. <laughs> so they said, okay, I think we got something here. So for for all the startup lovers, that's called a pivot. Yeah, <laughs> it's the kind yeah. you want to make. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So okay, you know, and and right before we started, you said a, a very prescient thing. You know that it, it's like. In order to make this no code reality, the, this you know magical level of abstraction, it turns out that there is quite an extraordinary amount of software engineering that needs to you know kind of go into that, and that's your area. So, yeah, love to, love to talk about that. You know, how do you? Um, gosh, it's like you need to conceptualize 
a totally different world for you know the customer while you create it to and 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 yet it's let us get away from having to have customers do the thing that we do <laughs> and it just right. there's a lot of like circular logic in there like, i don't know how do you keep that straight from a product perspective <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's like you know uh, it's, it's doing all the hard work to make something look really easy. It's like the, you know, the old adage of, a, you know, a duck is doing all this stuff under the water, but on top things look really easy. We want it to be really, really nice and smooth mm -hmm. for the, for the end users on that are uh, from their vantage point, I would say. And, uh, there, our end users for us are, uh, the developers. They're the ones who are developing the product. So, um, and they're developing, developing for their end users, which are the, uh, you know, the, the application users. So, yeah, we, we spent a, a huge amount of time thinking about how we can create more levels of abstraction uh, by, and we do that by writing code. So we're writing code to, be, to, to allow, to abstract the hard stuff so that when, when we get it to our end, our customers, they can, which are the developers, they can actually uh, go much faster and do some really great things. And so, uh, yeah, it's hard. I would say yeah, it's it's not an easy thing to replicate the, the amount of, oh my gosh, the time and effort that's put into in, into abstracting uh, these things is, is really, really difficult. And one of the things that's, that we really, it's important to us is um, we want, um, there's a few things that, that we think about. One is, we want the developers to be able to create human-centered user experiences. So we're very much about design and UI. Kind of gets back to our, our founder Ken McElrath's roots. He's very, very, very focused on design, and we feel like software in the enterprise, software in any businesses today, is, has a huge missing link, and that is the user experience. And so we're very focused on enabling the developers to create these amazing user experiences. So that's, that's a really important thing. And then the other thing is there's complex workflows in the, in the, in the uh, enterprise. And what we want, we want to do is to be able to make, uh, even though we're, though we're abstracting things, we, we want you to be able to do very complex things, but we want to make it look easy. So you know, that's super, super important to us. And so it's super focused on the UI then. I mean, the developer consumer of, of your product is is then going to be able to focus on backend data layer infrastructure, things of, of that nature. You're taking away the burden of them having to reconstruct and design UI components. Is, is that accurate? That, that's right. Yeah, we're focused on the front end for a web and mobile, you know, uh, application. So what we have is... We have things like uh, we have a, a tools for creating design systems. Uh, so you can have standard design systems and templates that you can roll out and you can configure and then just roll out and every app that you create inherits it. And then you can, but you can do customizations on that and tweaks. We have things that uh, we have a way to uh, some really nice uh, U UI components that are for common patterns that you use, but then you can extend them with code if you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have we have ways to do uh, process logic, uh, um, custom components, and we also have a really cool thing that uh, allows you to abstract data from it from from many many different data sources. So you could have, and that's something we hear whenever I talk to customers. Is like, oh, I, I've got these data silos everywhere. You know, it's a common thing, and my users aren't using the software that I give them. So so we, we what we do is allow you to to 
we have this abstraction layer on data that creates like a virtual data object with behavior and and uh, and then your data content, and but you have a common interface. You kind of map that to your user user components, so you can assemble an application that's really beautiful, more more like a consumer like application for the enterprise, super quickly. So it's about uh, UI UX for the end 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 user. And, mm-hmm. and then it also, I guess it's about, you know, speed to market or internal market yeah. for your developer constituents then. So, um, you know, what's the, uh, who's the, the customer then on, on your side is going to be like an engineering type director or um, yeah. you know, there, where are you, where are you selling into there? Because that, that's one thing I see with a lot of the, you know, no code in, in the marketplace is um, it's interesting. People have segmented the market you know, kind of in different ways and well, we target creatives or we target this or that. And you seem to have a developer focus then for what you guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we do. We have a focus on, I mean, the developers, they're the ones that are built, going to be building the applications, but it's interesting. We have also talked to the line of business. So we, 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 we uh, the, both, both of them get involved in the, in the discussion. Um, and I think that most, what we've seen is, um, most successful projects are have, have an involvement for both. So like, like large, very large, uh, you know, uh, fortune 100 customer we, we were working with, they wanted to roll out, uh, an application to 110 countries. They came to us and we, we want to roll it out to 110 countries, users all, all over the world in, in about seven months. And, uh, from, and they, and so, and they came to us because they thought they they just they saw our YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, okay, that's how they found us. And it's like, okay, and so we helped them. We walked. We, we helped them do some rapid prototyping because you could with with this kind of a tool. And um, the we had the IT. We had their basically their their leader of IT leader CIO for that 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 particular division. And then we had their uh, head their. Uh, head of um, kind of their business head and they were working in tandem. They actually both came to us together and they said, look, we need to do this, but they knew that they had to align the business and they had to align their, their IT teams to be able to make this, to pull this off. And then they, they, they chose us to, to kind of help build the te- technology. So long story short, we, we were able to build it, roll it out to 110 countries it exceeded their expectation. Their end users didn't even have to read a stick of documentation because they, it was so intuitive and they had over 95% adoption relative to the old system they had, which was about 10% adoption. Yeah, and it, the adoption hurdle is far and away the the biggest pothole for enterprise software, certainly. You know, it's that, yeah. you know, you can you can spend a lot of money. That doesn't mean anybody is going to, you know, uptake the thing and, uh, you know, Adoption is very much a cultural and user problem. You know, it, oh, it, it is not yeah. a technology problem. I think I think that's a huge lesson. You know, drill that home to anybody, the listeners here, because that is the most important thing. Adoption risk is far and away the hardest piece. Where in consumer, you might talk about discoverability being a huge problem, right? And, and that's right. that's useful, um, but that is not the case for for enterprise. It's it's adoption. The user yeah. will sync your thing. Yeah. I mean, if you think about if your users aren't using the software, there's no data going in. 
and there's no data going in, there's no data going out. I mean, I, I've talked with, you know, so many customers and I, I actually, this is a pattern I hear. I've actually really, I'm surprised how much I hear it, but they'll tell me like, oh, uh, we've got new college grads coming in, <laughs> you know, and to the workforce and they're, they, they literally refuse to use the software. They just say, no, I'm not using it. Or, uh, and it's like, and they, they've actually told me, it's like, no, you can't say that to me. And I'm like, well, I am. I'm not going to use the software. And so <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting thing is because they're, everybody's used to these consumer, you know, type applications. And they come in and they look at some legacy system and they're like, they balk at it. Yeah, that we would all say, you know, that, well, that looks like, I don't know, you know, early Windows 95 or something, you know, and we'd be like, well, that sucks, but we could at least deal with it. Like, <laughs> that's not going to yeah, happen. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that's, and that gets back to creating a, creating a way for developers to, to, to build, you know, really great user experiences is important because if you don't have the user experience, right, you don't have, if you don't under, and, and you also have to understand the needs of what, you know, their needs. And if you don't understand their needs and then take that and build what they, what, you know, to those needs, then, then you, you're you're you just wasted a lot of precious resources and and you're not going to move the needle. So, um, so I know from yeah. other conversations in this you know sort of vertical, I guess, in the no code world, that because you are dealing with so many nested layers of complexity, that you deal with a legacy code problem, you know, on, on sort of a, a scale that a lot of the rest of us don't have to, to deal with that you can paint yourself into a corner right. every day and, and you have to sort of deal with tech debt a little bit differently in, in what I've heard. So is, is that true? And, and how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, I think one of the one of the really cool things about like a no code, low code solution is and, and the way and especially the way we've approached it, we're really a meta platform that will sit on sit on top of everything. So we, uh, almost any infrastructure, there's limits to that for sure. But that's the way we do it. And so we actually don't have a database we, we, we whatever database you have or data source. So it's a, if it's a, a REST API or if it's OData or it's SQL or Salesforce, we can connect to that. We'll layer on top of that, and so what we've we've seen is a lot of legacy. So, like to one end of the spectrum, I talked to like a telecom, very large global telecom company, and they're like, "I'm still running COBOL. I'm run, I'm running AS400 and all of this. And you know, do you have? Can you can you solve solve all my problems with that? And I got and to help me innovate. And it's like, well, if you have if you have a modern if you have something with a, an API, a REST API, you know, I can get to it or SQL, and he's like, I don't even have that right now because it's so old. And so I said, so so that would be a limit that we would have. But a lot, but then we come into a lot of companies will have they do have mm -hmm. some they do have these endpoints, and uh, even on some of the like legacy SAP systems, you know, that you can you can get to endpoints there or or uh, Oracle and, and others. And what we're able to do is to, to layer over those legacy systems and allow, allow the customers to, the, the users to, to continue to use those legacy systems. But what we do is we can kind of create these net new applications that are leveraging the data from those systems. And now you can create these brand new, beautiful applications that are gonna be very, very innovative 
and yet still, you know, still using your systems of record, which are, have so much valuable data in them. Right. Right. And so how do you, how do you take it back a layer and in, internally, how do you deal with technical debt remediation? Cause you've, you've spent six years solving a very complicated problem and your own code base could quickly become spaghetti yeah. if you're not, you know, sort of actively yeah. managing that. How, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, so we there's there's uh, we we keep a close eye on that. We we reserve space in uh, you know most of our sprints for chipping away at technical debt. If it's a larger kind of a bigger architectural uh, um, endeavor, we'll, we'll like like we've done one thing where we actually just rewrote all of our our, our compo- UI components. So we 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 had a version one. And then we made a decision a couple of years ago, you know, for us to be able to like scale and, and to be able to have that ult- the, the flexibility we want and our customers need, we're going to, we decided to rewrite them. So we wrote, we wrote them all from scratch actually. And so we rolled those out. And so now, and we have a, uh, a way to, you know, a migration path and things like that, but it, it was a, it was a good decision. Uh, and, because there was a lot of technical debt that we were building up and we just didn't feel like it was it was going to be scalable going forward to be able to keep keep at that so so now we have this this newer newer version of our componentry and you know it takes it to get that out of the market and for customers to transition and things like that all takes time that happens with every any software product but sometimes you just have to make that decision and, and make a bigger change so i say it's a combination of, of the the incremental technical debt, uh, you know, uh, you know, addressing that and then, yeah, remediation and then the larger. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, migration path is an interesting thing because if you're dealing with massive customers, you know, they, they aren't going to want to be forced into your upgrade path. Yeah. You've got different, different versions of your thing out in the wild, which introduces a support headache for you because, you know, like as, as like a Microsoft might see now, you know, they, ultimately need to force everybody to, to upgrade, even if everybody doesn't want to do that. And, right. you know, you have a, a customer service kind of issue there with fragmentation in, in the field. Yeah. Yeah. So far, it's been pretty good. We, we, we've been able to navigate it well. I mean, we, you know, the recommendation is for net new things, you know, you can go with the, the, the uh, you know, the, the newer, the newer, and then uh, we, we, um, we allow a migration path to, to get to the other, to, to go from, you know, the old to the new if they want, but uh, we still fully support the other. And I think anytime you have a product where you are supported, you, you have some larger version change, you, you have to support both for a period of time. And then eventually you, you decide when, when there's a critical mass and you can, you know, you can sunset the old or, or, um, um, get to send that end of life email. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, yeah. But yeah. So I think it's uh, you know, it's an important topic for any product organization, but so far we've been able to navigate it well. Cool. Well, all right. So uh, last question, you know, uh, broadly speaking, you've been out I've at this five or six years, right? So now what, what do you wish you knew? Uh, you know, looking back and, you know, just a best practices or wisdom that, that you can share with the audience who, you know, might face uh, some of these scaling issues or whatever with the product, you know, what do you, what do you wish you could tell yourself six years ago? <laughs> um, I think that, 
Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I, I, I would I would tell myself is, you know, as you're building something for a new category, an emerging category, you you want to do a lot because they could, especially a horizontal platform like this. And so you want to kind of go, you know, address address as many of the known the known blocking and tackling issues as as quickly as possible. And, and I think that's that's also someone, you know, like myself, who comes from a long background of startups and enterprises, I, I probably know too much. And so it's like, these are all the things we need, you know, need to do. So I think, I think what I would do, you know, is, is create a little bit more focus and not go as broad. And I think that's an important thing to, to not get too excited about to go to do that. So uh, that's, I think that's an important lesson. Um, like I said, I think we've been able to navigate it pretty well, but it's, uh, it can, it can pose some challenges if you try to go be too aggressive, too fast. Um, and then I think that, uh, you know, another, another thing that, that I would just say is that focusing on the user experience is really, really important. And I think that there's a lot to be said about, you know, doing functional things, but starting from the starting place has to be from the user. And I think that, uh, that's, that's, uh, uh, I think that's an important lesson for anybody building any, you know, any software these days. Cause, uh, if you don't do that, then like I said, your users aren't, aren't, won't use your software. So you want them, you want them to use your software. So, uh, the user experience and understanding their needs is very, very, very important. Okay. Well, so you're talking to a lot of developers, a lot of people that might be interested in what, what you guys are doing. So how and where does does everybody you know reach out or or uh, yeah. give it a give it a test run? So. Yeah, you can go to uh, squid.com, s k u i d dot com, and it's pretty up in front on the center there. There's a you can try Squid button, and uh, you get a free developer account. You can use it forever, pretty much. So, uh, and uh, that's a that's a great way to get started. There's lots of online material to learn and documentation examples that kind of thing so that's the way you do it awesome well mike thanks for spending the time and it's great to have you on you bet ledge thank you very much thanks for listening to the frontier podcast produced by gun.io we're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers if you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.